All right, Jordan, I know you have something to say to me. Let's just let's just get this out of the way. Let's hear let's hear it. Yeah, what and the I fuck? Know, okay. Dude, you embarrassed me, you embarrassed the show. Yeah. It, it, this is this is absurd. Like we like you think uh, people are going to look to me. Like what why the fuck would you do that? Why do you associate with this guy? They're going to be they're going to be asking you this. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, man. I'm 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 ticked off. You fired up. You sound fired up. Uh-huh. Right now. I am. Oh my goodness. Goodness mm-hmm. gracious. This is this what is, is Jordan that... Unchained. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mhm. Why don't you let the listeners know the big transgression that happened? Oh, okay. Happily. Uh it, but just okay. you've been warned like it might make my blood pressure spike again. So I'm on Twitter this morning and I'm scrolling. She got some CBD. Handy. <gasps> In case you need a little a mild relaxant. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to call my therapist and get an emergency <laughs> session. So I, I'm scrolling Twitter and I see this tweet today. And see if you could follow along. Everyone is making fun of that Russian guy for chaining himself to McDonald's as if we don't live in a culture that has literally sacrificed millions of lives so the right can get a blooming onion with a watery beer at Chili's at any time remains unfringed. And okay, I don't see what the what the big deal is. The blooming on the blooming onion isn't a fucking chilies. <laughs> it's outback. It's not outback. Okay, you're you are stealing. I've never American actually been to chilies. Family restaurant valor. Oh man, by doing this, and you're making I mean, an embarrassment of me and in the Austra- show. And Australian family restaurant valor yeah, as well. True. The multi international <laughs> incident here. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's a global crisis. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like I was, I actually, when I was writing this tweet, I actually checked because I, I, I don't know. I've actually never been to Chili's. I, I will admit, I have never eaten at Chili's before. I think they have Chili's in Canada, but I'm actually not sure. Okay. I've never been to Chili's, but I did check this. I, I wanted to look. Hey, when I was doing this tweet, I checked it out, and I'm aware actually that there's no blooming onion at Chili's and is in fact the awesome blossom is what they call it there. The awesome blossom. But I don't know, for some reason, just when I was doing the tweet, putting Outback Steakhouse as the restaurant wasn't funny. And it was just funny to me that it went to say Chili's and Blooming Onion was like the food item that felt like it made the most sense in that tweet. So this is a deliberate, this is a deliberate move on my part. I was taking comedic license. Uh Uh-huh. Well, no, Satire. I'm with you. In all seriousness, I do think just the the phrase and name of an item, Bloomin' Onion, is funnier than <laughs> Awesome Blossom. And, like, if you said yeah. Awesome Blossom, nobody's going to know what you're exactly. talking about. I've you literally never heard it before today. The genuine article. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if I had said, like, jalapeno poppers or whatever, I just I feel like it wouldn't have been punchy it's enough. Too gen- it's too generic. Yeah, exactly. So And also it's like... Mea culpa. It, well, people like poppers. You can get them anywhere. You know, you can make them at home. Bloomin' Onion is like, not everybody likes it. It's fine. Not everybody likes it. And it's like a very distinct thing that you like really only get restaurants. You don't see people. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but it's like, it's not as commonly made at home. So like within that is the implication that they're going out to eat. Right. And Chili's is a, is a yeah, it's a funnier punchline than Outback, I think. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> now you're backing me up on this. Nevertheless, yeah. I'm still, I'm <laughs> still, still very steamed. I'm still, yeah. I'm. I told you, I'm. I'm Jordan Unchained today. Yeah, steam. Not unlike the steamed clams available at. Oh God, here we go. Chachkis. Is that a real? Chachkis. I only. Re- I only remember that Probably. from Office Space. I don't even know if that's a real restaurant. I just remember Office Space. They mentioned that a lot. Uh, I've never heard of it. <laughs> okay, like being a real place. Um, this is my. This is how much I know about family restaurants. I really it's just like I never. I'm not. Don't have a lot of experience with this stuff. Uh huh. Once again, I'm again. This is. It's like you were pointing out before we started recording. This gives ammunition to all the people that are like, he's not even American. Why yeah. is he talking about this? Clearly, I know nothing about American culture. I resisted making ignorant. it because I know like people just pile on and they don't really they care love either to way. Me. Like yeah, yeah. So I was like, I wasn't gonna take that <laughs> angle, but it was like I did see it. It's like. Wrong restaurant, dude. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. No. I was, I, was, I was taking satiric license. I'm aware that at Chili's, their version of the Bloomin' Onion is in fact called the Awesome Blossom. Did you know that, though? Did you know I the Awesome I... Blossom is a thing? No, I did not know that. I've never heard of it. My understanding is Chili's that it's... to get a fried onion? I, think that's just, I thought that was just an Outback thing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they popularized it, but you got all these other restaurants that are kind of trying to infringe on the same thing. So they're their own fun, wacky names for it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's all about the dip. There's, from what I was reading, it's the, the dip is like the main selling point. I don't know, though. It does sound kind of yeah. good. Like as, yeah. as much as I was joking around about this idea, I would actually like to go get a nice cold Bud Light and a Chili's. <laughs> it does sound pretty enjoyable to me, actually. Well, you can't because they took away your freedoms. So yeah, I know. I know. This is why I've been driving in circles around the around the Capitol with my boys. <laughs> except when it rains. Yeah. Except when there's traffic. Yeah. Um, except when gas is too high. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just be driving around in your freedom convoy in the rain. That's. Have you? Did you see that? That they, they they took a day off because of the rain. <laughs> <laughs> the rain day. Yeah. <laughs> freedom fighters. Yeah, I don't think the convoy has quite made quite the impact that uh, maybe some were predicting. People were saying, this is going to change. There's a turning point in history. The Freedom Convoy mm-hmm. started in Canada. The fascist uh, stormtroopers of the Trudeau government cracked down on it. It's a turning point in history. We had all kinds mm-hmm. of conservative commenters really getting very uh, emotional about this. Hasn't quite let, gotten to that same level of, I think, importance as we're seeing in... Uh, Washington DC right now seems a little seems like it's fizzled out a little bit. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. The uh I a couple of weeks ago when Canada's was at its height and people were like we're going to do one in DC. My first thought was like there's no way this is going to happen in DC. Just knowing the city like knowing yeah. how like insane like the multiple different police departments that share jurisdiction in DC are how I've seen them respond to even like mild protests, how I know how quickly they can lock things down, how they have like literal metal barriers in different parts of the city yeah. that like pop up out of the street. Like I kind of knew nothing's going to happen. And all these people, even some well-meaning people who kind of cover the right, were just kind of like credulously, oh boy, they're coming, better watch out. And then, you know, we saw like something absurd, like 1700 National Guard were going to be activated for this. And it's just like, there's, like nobody coming and lo and behold a bunch of people on the right like were just posting on the internet and not doing anything and now you have this like a handful of people just driving in circles 
in traffic. They're just like they're all they're doing is just like getting into standard beltway traffic. It's not like they're blocking right. downtown areas, you know, around a city hall or in this case like the White House or Congress. They're just driving on the freeway. Like okay. <laughs> okay. Go, go go enjoy the beltway, the thing everybody hates. Yeah. So this hasn't snowballed into an authentic working class movement that brings uh that brings socialism to America as some of our friends Yeah, surprisingly uh, not some yet. Some of our debate bro um, friends were were predicting. That's unfortunate. Oh, no, I think those guys have moved on now to uh, saying they're going to be pick number one in the World War Three draft. Oh, yeah. Those. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. It's interesting, too. You talk about D.C. and about all these measures that are in place to, like, prevent <laughs> prevent these big protests and lock the... Weird how the, a bunch of yahoos were able to breach the U.S. Capitol and get into that building. But we don't need to, need to get into that whole... <laughs> I don't espouse any conspiracy theories on this program, which actually leads us right to perfect segue to bring up our guest, Kelly Weil, uh, who is joining the show today. We actually spoke to Kelly a few weeks ago, um, and this this episode has kind of been in the can for a few weeks. Obviously, a lot has happened since that since we recorded it. Um, so if you listen to the interview and you think we're spending a long time talking about like Wordle and <laughs> chatting about that, um, we're not just de- deliberately avoiding other major geopolitical events that are going on right now. But this is actually a conversation from a few weeks ago, but it is a really great conversation. Um, you know, we talked about conspiracy theories and misinformation and uh, the flat earth and hollow earth, which is my preferred conspiracy that I that I enjoy and miracle cures snake oil salesman uh really really a great talk and uh regardless of the fact that this is a, c- a couple weeks old now i think you're still going to really enjoy this can you just plug kelly's book she's promoting her book yeah, but i don't have it in front of me just pull it up i just assumed you came prepared but i guess not at all not. no really a half-assed <laughs> kind of a situation here so Kelly's new book just came out. It's called Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. So we get into kind of like the origins of conspiracy culture, like going back hundreds of years, which is really fun, um, and how kind of flat earth as an idea and concept popularized back then, and then you obviously like subsided once people kind of saw through it. But now how it's also reemerged and how that kind of intersects with, we talk, you know, obviously like QAnon, Pizzagate, all that kind of fun stuff. And then we even talked a little bit about Birds Aren't Real, uh, the kind of yeah. spoof conspiracy that is kind of used to ridicule the culture. And uh, that was, it was just, a t- it's a ton of fun. This is a great conversation. And yes, uh, sign of the times, uh, how naive we were that the world was going to remain maybe a little bit more peaceful than we thought. Yes. Uh, we were just so focused on our wordle tactics that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i don't even play anymore i'm kind of just too distracted yeah yeah you moved on and well you know what i still think it's a really pertinent discussion to be having right now um because i feel like just the level of misinformation that was already floating around out there right now since this this russian invasion of ukraine really kicked off i just feel like it's just been absolutely relentless the sort of non-stop misinformation coming from kind of all sides all angles it's become it's been really overwhelming even people that kind of ostensibly kind of care about this idea about misinformation and disinformation kind of like starting to openly suggest that like oh actually some misinformation is good if you like the people that are spreading it then it's okay um we've seen a lot of that uh, which has made it i think really really difficult to try and get to the bottom of like what is actually happening because there's so many different interests at play right now and so much misinformation uh flying around 
that it's become it's it's very it's like this very mentally oppressive phenomenon tangentially related definitely but i think uh still a very pertinent conversation uh considering some of this some of this stuff uh yeah i think so i think people will enjoy it yeah i think so too really enjoyed talking to kelly um and so let's bring kelly on right now she is going to be joining the show right after this i was just thinking if i had something else i should say is there anything should i plug anything or plug the book yeah yeah that's okay fuck it let's do this all right let's go joined by Kelly Weil, uh, the author of the upcoming book, Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. And Kelly, we ask everybody the same question when we start this this show and this segment, and now it's your turn. So, Kelly Weil, are you a gamer? Absolutely. Uh, Wordle 2048 on occasion. <laughs> I am, I'm all nice. out. We that should we, we should prepare ourselves for the for the people who try to claim gamer valor with Wordle. That's, this is the first. This is the first. It's coming for the moms, of which I am one. <laughs> um, do you have a strategy? I got my Wordle today in two. I was pretty. Oh hell yeah! Dude. Pretty happy about that. I'm still not. Um, I still feel uncomfortable with posting the results on Twitter. I still can't. I'm not doing it. I can't bring myself to do that. Yeah, but. I Wordle. I Wordle in private. You know. Yeah. As as one should. I have a. I've curated a little Wordle community that we can talk about it free from the, the judgmental comments <laughs> from the Twitterati, you know. Absolutely. Uh, do you do either of you have a strategy? Like, do you start with the same word every day? I did. I had what I think was a really solid word. I started with stare, but then it got really boring. So now I've been like self-sabotaging to make it interesting, you know, throwing like joust in there, uh, horse, okay. you know, just little little variety i start with brain oh every time that's good i don't know what there's no real strategy to it um i don't know if it makes sense i just start i'm like one of those sports guys you get into the habit of doing it and then it just that becomes the the ritual yeah no that's good that's uh that's like setting an intention for your wordle no i don't know yeah exactly (laughs) i start with i similar to you rob i start with brace okay every day and then my second guess, if it if it doesn't have, you know, th- two to three or more yellows or greens, I just automatically play shout. Okay. And between those two, I'm usually able to get it in three or four. It's all about that vowel density. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a buddy who starts with audio every day because you knock out four ah, vowels. That that might um, be my go tomorrow. But then you're just kind of like. You're just kind of flailing in, in, in consonants. So I, f- I found this is like a little bit more of a balance and you get like you kind of knock out a bunch of like the letters that are, you know, combination prefixes or suffixes. So you kind of, yeah, that's, that's just my strategy. My, my real strategy, like if I'm going to cheat is I'm in a Wordle group chat with a lot of Australians and I know that a lot of them also use stare. So if I want to check in at like 9 p.m., they've already got the next days and I can like intuit what's going on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so just by their forward in time just by their letters that's, that's yeah. right by the way we're actually mandated to spend the first five minutes to talk about <laughs> wordle now because we've also been bought out by the new york times this podcast mm-hmm. 
We were going to mm-hmm. announce that today. Huge, huge announcement, um, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. I'll find you guys between Wordle and uh, the Spelling Bee game. That's right. Yeah. Wait, if I if I if I can bring this back to um my my subject matter, I saw someone post that their mom has got out of QAnon because she's got so obsessed with playing Wordle. Knock-offs. I think I saw that too. Yeah, <laughs> I heard so that <laughs> that it just takes yeah. up all her time now. And it's like a good way to kind of like connect them to yeah. something other than whatever the fuck they're reading. Yeah. Stay to whatever Facebook groups you're in right now and focus on this a little bit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's equally addictive. Yeah. But that's Very a nice segue, Kelly. Yeah, that's nice. what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> Look, she's on a mission. She's she's here to plug the book. That's, Lately we've been relying them. on our guests more than us, like the professional <laughs> broadcasters, to do the segues and they've been just been killing it. <laughs> No, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm on I'm on the podcast circuit right now, so I'm like one okay. track mind. I can yeah. I can bridge yeah. any two topics. That's smart. Um, I, yeah, I'm yeah. happy to talk about gaming for an hour, but if we could get into your book a little bit, if you want, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it a good ten fifteen minutes on that as well. Um, but yeah, as Jordan mentioned up front, Kelly, the book is off the edge: flat earthers, conspiracy culture, and why people will believe anything. Uh, I know this is a beat you've been on for a, a few years now, and. What has it been like for you to see the kind of explosion in interest about this? Like since since people started, you know, since we the whole QAnon phenomenon kind of started around 2017 and seeing this snowball effect as as more people get sucked into this movement and as more people on the outside start to notice that this is happening and start to wonder what the hell is going on. How has that been how has that experience been for you leading up to getting to the point of writing this book? It's been frustrating and stupid, and sometimes you don't want to be right about something, but you are. And I mean, I I came to writing about extremism just from being extremely online, like most of my life, right? You know, I was always like looking at 4chan and looking at weird stuff. Um, but during the Trump campaign and the early Trump presidency, those weird online habits became you know, a a viable part of a journalistic portfolio, like newsrooms needed to know what was going on on internet fringes. And so it was kind of strange to take that um, weird hobby and see it become more of an actual skill set. And from there, it's like, it's it's like being the Cassandra, um, but all the prophecies are, you know, some boomer typing something terrible and, um, prophetic in an eight coon board, you know, so um, I've been seeing this stuff percolate for years. And um, unfortunately, it has definitely gained traction in the mainstream GOP. Um, It's gone from QAnon being this thing that you are aware of, um, definitely people on the extremist beat. I know very early on, a lot of us didn't even want to write articles about QAnon because we're like, this is pretty fringe let's kind of quarantine it a little bit um to now it being this driving political force and again it's something that you hate to for lack of a better word be right about but it's um it's been frustrating to point out that this is uh an increasingly potent political force and for people to be like it's just the internet and it's not the internet is real 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been really strange. Definitely following this uh, movement from when it started as kind of that as the sort of Pizzagate phenomenon, and just being like, this is so absurd and weird, and just simply no way that this this could ever take off and become this big big kind of mass movement. That how ridiculous would that be? And I remember you know explain kind of trying to explain this stuff to my mom uh, when this was starting to kind of pick up steam, and then all of a sudden two years later you have my mom going like, what is going on with all this <laughs> stuff? And like, it's it's been very strange to to follow it from this kind of extremely niche uh, minor bizarre movement and snowball into this thing that has everyone's attention and has the attention of mainstream media and having being talked about in politics and have actual politicians that subscribe to these theories uh, which even a couple years ago is like almost unthinkable the idea that oh can you imagine when there's sort of like a congressperson that would that would believe in this kind of stuff and now that seems to be like almost quaint that we thought that that was not going to happen immediately yeah totally i mean we have poster politicians right now is what happened, right? You know, like the Marjorie Taylor Greens, she didn't come out of politics. She came out of posting spaces. She was making, you know, Facebook Live videos about Q. And that is, um, that I think is right now a more exciting political force for some voters than is, you know, a real political candidate, is a real um, platform and set of policies. So, yeah, I mean, it's... um. It, it's unfortunate, but you can. It also feels a little inevitable. Um, just the same weird sort of scintillating things that have kept me watching sites like 4chan, even though I don't agree with ninety eight percent of the stuff that's going on on them. Um, but to see those become mainstream politics is just really messed up. Why do you think that is? Like, what do you think that? that says about people and their behavior and the way they think and the way they engage politically, because for, you know, for, for decades, like partisan single issue or multi-issue like campaigns and, and, and approaches to voting have kind of guided the body politic here. You know, you have a ton of conservatives who, you know, will just mostly focus on uh, being anti-choice and packing the or, or the Supreme Court because of that. You uh, for for about a decade or two, a lot of liberals were focused on uh, issues of equality. And uh, recently, you know, healthcare has been a driving issues for why people will will vote for Democrats. So uh, not that that's a great strategy, but like, what do you think that says that now you have somebody who's just like, I don't care about anything that's actually political. I'm here to talk to you about. Uh, a, a secret cabal of pedophiles <laughs> and that is what is motivating people to the polls and what do you think what, what what's what's happening in society and in politics that that is an effective strategy so one thing that i get into in this book is that conspiracy belief isn't like some weird thing that only a certain fringe of people subscribe to we're all hardwired to be conspiracy theorists um and you know i i personally have plenty that i personally subscribe to um but what a conspiracy theory does is when we feel like there is a lack of um, a lack of information or a lack of answers that we find comforting and plausible, we start looking for alternate explanations, things that uh, that speak to gaps in the available knowledge or things that affirm our priors. I think right now there is a lot of, um, shall we say, gaps of information just in party platforms with at least with democrats um you'll see them run on a certain slate of issues and get nothing done it's it's um there's a real emptiness below the surface right now 
And I think that's certainly also the case on the Republican side as well in different ways. There's, um, for all the messaging um, and for all the red team, blue team tribalism, I think there is a a lack of genuine political energy and uh, of a viable action. I think that people across the spectrum are somewhat aware of that on at least an unconscious level. Um, The politics that might have seemed appealing in the past, at least as they uh, relate to like legislative agendas, aren't really that appealing anymore because it seems like there's very little behind them. So people are turning more toward these uh, just outlandish and often sort of team-based, identity-based claims that um, that are just really appealing to people's sense of sensationalism. You know, you might not actually believe that your Republican congressman is a champion of the working people, even though he runs on that. But what is more interesting is that he's going to um, crack down on sex trafficking, which is, you know, in, in this the current parlance, like a code word for cracking down on the cabal and the Clintons and Pizzagate. So um, I think this fantastical agenda is starting to become more appealing to people because it offers an alternative to um, some really grim politics, I think, on both sides of the spectrum. So we've been we've been starting off this discussion talking more about the sort of QAnon aspect of this modern conspiracy movement. I think, you know, because we've seen it have such a huge impact on our culture and politics, the the sort of anchor to this book, though, uh, Off the Edge, is about uh, flat earthers. We can return to the QAnon stuff eventually, but I am wondering, like, um, what, what was it about the flat earth conspiracy theory that made you want to uh, sort of start following this thread? And how can we connect the idea of these flat earth conspiracy theories to these larger uh, theories that are sort of animating so many people in so many different online communities? What was it, What is it about the flat earthers that made you want to uh, start having these conversations? I love the flat earth movement just because it's so out there. It's one of the weirdest ideas that you could propose to a person. And when I first started encountering it online, I thought that pe- the, the people talking about it were kidding. I think if you believe flat earth, you can believe in anything. And that makes it sort of the perfect rhetorical peg to talk about a whole world of conspiracy theories. So I really got into flat earth because I wanted to know what would let people believe the most extreme thing. It's not just, you know, one minor conspiracy theory that can exist alongside realities. Like if you believe in flat earth, that is a whole worldview. And so I thought it was maybe the most all-encompassing conspiracy theory and one of the best ways to enter that world and explore it. You, In the description of the book, you mention an early grifter who kind of helped popularize uh, that that theory and that belief, the origins of it. Could you kind of give us like a brief primer without, you know, still want people to read the book, but just kind of like, what are these like weird origins and how did it start to spread uh, in the 1800s? Absolutely. So this is uh, this might be good for your audience, folks who love um, antique lefty uh, political drama. There was this uh, in 1830s, this English fellow named Samuel Burley Rowbotham. He uh, was one of the leaders of a failed like pre-Marxist socialist commune 
I personally find this stuff really interesting. It was a it was a total shit show, and they had like a, a hermit living on the commune, and it was it was a mess by the book. Um, <laughs> but um, this guy, he uh, Samuel Robotham, he pivoted from vaguely political work to getting into things like miracle cures. He started selling. Um, basically soda that he said could cure all ailments and effectively make people immortal. And he went from that to, I think, an even further fringe, which was starting to propose that the earth was flat. He did all these rudimentary experiments um, on a very long straight canal um, and arguing that based on the evidence of people's own eyes, that the world was probably flat because it looked like it from this vantage point. And he started writing books. He started selling lecture series and becoming almost like this uh, proto-YouTuber to promote this theory that Earth was flat. And he got remarkable traction and much of the flat Earth theory that we still see today online is based on his work. Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, it's one of the things that like, you know, when we tell ourselves, even as kids, just like, oh, in the dark ages, you know, they thought the earth was flat. And it's just it's just this so obviously untrue thing that I think it is an interesting jumping off point because of the 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 extent of the easily provable uh, untruth of that with you now this kind of community that forms around believing this obviously untrue thing. Personally, I'm more of a hollow earth guy. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's, if you touched on that at all. I'm like, I'm like the Drake meme, like Drake, no, hollow, uh, flat earth, Drake, yes, hollow <laughs> earth. That's the real good one to me. Yeah. You get, some, you get the dinosaurs in there and the, there's a secret Antarctic entry point and all that stuff. Very fun. Very fun conspiracy theory, that one. Hollow earth rules. And unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, I could only touch on it a couple times in the book. Um, I got to stay narrowly on topic in my alter theories Um, but yeah no it's um and what's interesting is hollow earth has a pretty weird historical background too um there's a huge hollow earth religious community um and i think they were in oh come on was it um they were they're in the midwest and then they relocated to florida kind of cult like this is in the early 1900s, so there. If uh, if if somebody wants to go write the sequel on Hollow Earth, there is absolutely material. These theories tend to congregate around the wildest characters, and they have for hundreds of years. So it's um, yeah, it's it's a weird theory in its own right. Yeah, and another interesting modern connection too is when you talk about this this connection with like selling miracle cures and snake oil and that kind of stuff, and which leads us whether you still have figures today like Alex Jones who, in between their own kind of wild-eyed uh, delusional conspiracy theories, are like hawking brain force to their audience and stuff like that. Uh, there's still this really direct crossover with people that espouse like conspiracy theories and have made big careers and made big livings off of that with this kind of like uh, miracle cure movement or, or like the snake oil salesman uh, callback. It's a very interesting connection. Absolutely. And when you think about it, I think miracle cures and uh, conspiracy theories operate under a lot of the same logic, right? I mean, a conspiracy theory, people often buy into it because the available information is frightening to them and they want um, a second opinion on reality. And miracle cures work kind of the same way. People don't want to be sick and they don't want to pay an ungodly amount for their medicine and they don't want to be told that their medicine like might work, might have some 
gross side effects. They want to mainline turmeric powder and be told that this is going to cure, you know, all the worldly ills. So I think it's, um, yeah, conspiracy theories and miracle cures sell false hope. And that, um, as an Alex Jones has shown, is a really, really lucrative market. Well, and also... Dr. Oz. I mean, he's a big he's a big miracle cure guy and now he's running for Senate and he's got, you know, a poll in December shows him at uh, a 10 point lead over oh, Republicans Christ. in the Republican Senate race. I mean, this is just like it's a it's, you know, kind of a similar behavior pattern to people who vote because of QAnon. But now you have a guy who has become really a household name because of his daytime TV show where he's hawking all this like bullshit miracle cure Mir- miracle miracle cure nonsense yeah no absolutely and you know this is a bit of a tangent um but i know that there's a lot of discussion about how the internet has fueled disinformation and certainly i write a lot about that uh in my book but i mean i was just in the shop right uh, a couple hours ago and in the checkout aisle is like all the TV Guide, uh, Women's Day, have like Dr. Oz or similar figures on the cover. And it's all about, you know, this one all natural additive will, you know, will cure everything for you. It's, we're really, really primed for this kind of disinformation, be it from a Dr. Oz or, um, you know, a 50 cent crap magazine on a checkout counter. It's, um, we we have a culture that inspires people to look for other explanations just because the available ones are so shit. Well, and I imagine, I mean, well, I don't have to imagine, but in the COVID era, this exact phenomenon has absolutely thrived. It's provided this perfect sort of breeding ground for a lot of these ideas, right? About, oh, don't listen to the doctors, listen to the real people that know the true the true science and the true medicine behind this it's its provided this platform for people to completely build huge uh, audiences and build up a ton of influence because of this global health crisis that's going on right absolutely yeah times of uncertainty are uh, prime moments for conspiracy theories and you can see pretty normal uh cohort groups and individuals radicalize in these times i mean I'm in a ton of mom Facebook groups just because I'm a mom. Um, and I mean, the way they flew off the handle during the early COVID era is both relatable to me. I, I get it. It was really scary and no one knew what the hell was going on and how to protect your kids. And also very scary to me because in the absence of reliable information, these groups started hawking all kinds of disinfo, um, some of which some of which I think is actively harmful for kids. So, yeah, I mean, it, it it's not just the Alex Joneses of the world. It's um, the people who want different answers. And when there aren't many answers to be found, like in a a pandemic, yeah, conspiracy theories are going to thrive. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's been something that's been surprising for people as well. When you think about things like QAnon or uh, COVID disinformation or all all this kinds of stuff, you might think that this is just the sort of exclusive purview of these sort of libertarian, uh, reactionary conservative types. But there's huge crossover with like those kind of mom Facebook groups and the sort of with the wellness community and the you know the the people that advocate for crystals and this kind of stuff. Um, tons of crossover with with QAnon and with a lot of these these modern conspiracy movements with these sort of more 
or the anti-vax movement, right? That we would more associate with more of the kind of a, a hippie-ish uh, sort of benign thing, but tons of crossover with these two communities. Absolutely. And it goes back to the um, the false hope component, right? Where um, people, I mean, taking your kid to the doctor one time in America is just, it, it's so expensive and it's booked out for ages and it's just hell. Um, but if you can, you know, put iodine drops in their eyeballs or whatever the hell people are doing, it's, um, that's really easy. It's pretty cheap. And uh, you can also buy it on a website that tells you that Hillary Clinton is a reptile. So you <laughs> see that, um, you can see that pretty easy slide from, hey, what's my doctor not telling me to um, Pizzagate is real and I am going to shoot up a uh, ping pong restaurant. <laughs> what's frustrating on the on the comet thing, really quick, what's frustrating is kind of how this stuff has kind of influenced kind of like our ironic circles to the point where some people will just like kind of start to accept it and lose their sense of irony and kind of believe it. Kind of saw that play out this week when Eve 6 announced a tour and they're playing two shows at Comet in DC, which is a venue. Like it's legitimately a venue. Uh, And people were just like inundating uh, them with like obviously hollow accusations of of pedophilia and just like this is you kind of like have lost the plot here like it's it was kind of funny to laugh at and then it got a little serious when you know they got shot up but like it it, i don't know i i just i i don't really feel great about the kind of like ironic belief in this stuff uh because it does lead to people just being unable to distinguish between irony and real life yeah, that's a weird dynamic I've noted. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's uncomfortable because I think for all of us, we need to leave um, available space for doubt, you know, leave space to question official narratives, etc. Um, but there's being reasonable and there is um, just jumping to the same sensationalized conclusions as other people and you know i i hate i hate to be the scold but like something like joking about pizzagate like on its surface it totally seems like a joke it's ridiculous but the actual implications there or the actual allegations are disgusting like it's it's i mean it's it's a joke about child sex trafficking and um often cannibalism like it's not fucking funny so i don't know it's i've seen that too on the left and i think it's um a combination you know people being uh i think reasonably like anti-clinton and people using irony as a coping mechanism to deal with just a world that feels like it's gone insane but yeah i i try and stay away from that stuff because i just think it's um I think it's numbing in a way that's not useful to anyone. Yeah, I think it's worth exploring too. Uh, like still uh, talking about flat Earth, where there's this element where a lot of these these bizarre conspiracy theories do have this very reactionary element to it. And I think flat Earth is something that, when you sort of think about it, you say like, okay, well that's really stupid, but it's kind of benign. Um, it doesn't really have like a political orientation. But when you dig into it, it kind of does, doesn't it? Because it's like, because this is one thing I was kind of, when I was trying to understand this myself, this kind of obsession that people have with the earth being flat and just asking myself, like, why? Why, why, would, the, why would the powers that be 
cover begins to do this massive cover up on all of humanity to convince us that the world the world is spherical how does that actually change our lives in any way it doesn't really um but when you dig into it it's got this kind of like uh evangelical bent to it where it's like it's part of that theory is like that it wants that people want to imagine that earth kind of exists more in this kind of biblical sense that the universe revolves around the earth and human beings and it's all about how we have the true dominion over the planet um, and this idea that Earth is just one tiny little you know, speck of dust in this massive universe uh, and is ultimately insignificant, it's like that's what they're rejecting. Um, and they're, they're ultimately accepting something that, 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 that coincides with this very sort of strict, more biblical uh, understanding of, of uh, how, how, the, how the world is. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And you're right to note that there shouldn't necessarily be a political slant to flat earth or even a religious slant. You know, you can, um, if you're going to make the case for it, you can do it without invoking politics or religion. But almost from the inception of it, it has uh, brought in religious tones and certainly um, anti-science tones that uh, that struck back at, you know, the godless atheists or whatever. Rob Otham, when he started having to explain why people would promote a flat earth, uh, excuse me, why um, people would lie and promote the globe earth. One of the things that he and his followers sort of landed on was that this was a moment of emerging power in the sciences. This is when uh, theories of evolution and natural sciences were starting to come to the forefront and take a lot more, um, more of the main stage in how we understand ourselves as a species and as people. Um, and that necessarily upset a lot of um, more reactionary folks. It upset a lot of biblical literalists, people who had a very uh, strict interpretation of a lot of religious texts. Um, so from the outset, Flat Earth has been used sort of as a, as a reactionary framework, an anti-science one. Nowadays, uh, it's continued in that vein because it coexists very nicely with um, strict biblical interpretations. It coexists very nicely with things like young earth creationism. And it uh, it coexists in, in really nice synchronity with people who don't want to believe in things like outer space or aliens. And although... A lot of quite religious people I know absolutely believe in outer space, but things like alien life pose a thorny theological question. Flat Earth just, it puts such a, a tidy end to it by saying that there is nothing outside the dome of the Earth. This is it. This is like God's special domain, and it is very finite. You are very special within its realm. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a very limited view of the world, but I think it's one that reactionary views can thrive in. And so this anti-science element uh, in, in Flat Earth, we're seeing, you know, you see, you see those in a, in, in a ton of different conspiracy theories. And there's always, uh, there's been, we've been inundated with them during COVID and, and, and the vaccine. Uh, could you talk about that intersect and how that's demonstrative of how the same type of thinking has uh, been injected into the vaccine debate? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, and this is just like catastrophically unfortunate, but I think a lot of 
the idea of science in people's minds has become aligned with this idea of elitism has become aligned with this idea of liberalism. And so figures like an Anthony Fauci, who should rightfully be just an apolitical figure saying, wash your hands, get your shot, have become these like like satanic beings in the mind of a lot of the country. Um, and I, I, I think there's sort of a, a right-wing anti-authoritarian posturing around this. It's a, it's a fuck you, I won't do what you tell me sort of thing, where the CDC says, um, you know, guys, don't eat this lettuce this this month because it has a listeria outbreak and they're like no no i'm gonna do what i want thank you i am the consumer and uh, but it's um (laughs) so it's we we do see a lot of anti-science uh stances on the right not just because of what science has typically um suggested in in contrary to say uh religious teachings um but also because at least in the the current mental alignment they have, science has become uh, an ally of liberalism and um, everything that they uh, performatively uh, just just hold in contempt. And I, I just, as, as I'm talking about this, I remembered a meme I just saw in a flat earth group. And it was, um, it was one of those Facebook posts that has the, the background text. And it was like, crying laughing and it says global excuse me globers equal antifa and i'm like well that is just a very succinct worldview in its way (laughs) i hate to understand what that means but it's um it does sort of suggest uh the the alignments that take place in 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 these people's minds Uh, okay so one argument that I think we see a lot when we start having these discussions about disinformation and, and uh, you know, talking about these, um, the bad actors in this, in this sort of conspiracy theory world or people that are building big platforms after spreading this kind of disinformation. Like, this is all something that I think people should be aware of and we should be kind of figuring out how we sort of reconcile with these things as a, as a culture, as a society. One thing that I think gets pointed out a lot, though, whenever this comes up, and it's something, this is something that I'm kind of sympathetic to, is that disinformation is not the exclusive purview of like these radicalized Facebook groups and, and you know, people like Alex Jones or whoever else, but you see quite often mainstream media um, engaging in what, what you could call, you could very easily call disinformation, whether it comes to drumming up support for wars, uh, or, you know, any, any number of things like, you know, um, even when you, you mentioned Dr. Fauci as an example, who probably is someone that should be sort of a benign, apolitical figure at the same time, like the CDC and Fauci himself, I think got a bunch of things kind of openly wrong at the beginning of the pandemic, talking about masks and how useful they are. And it, this level of disinformation that I think comes out from these mainstream sources, then I think contributes to this phenomenon of people just refusing to believe anything that these sort of institutions say, even when they are trying to say things that are true, or they are trying to sort of be the arbiters of what is or is not uh, reality, which makes it, this is kind of a more complicated problem to deal with. Um, 
what do you make of that? And like, is how do you think as a, as a culture, we can kind of start to address that kind of disinformation uh, without exclusively focusing on the sort of conspiracy world and the sort of this, these fringe groups? I think that's absolutely right. And I, I, I think it's important to note that conspiracy theories thrive in these atmospheres of ambient distrust. And that's not just an Alex Jones phenomenon. That's not just a right wing phenomenon. Um, when the New York Times gets wrong that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. I mean, that's not only is that one of the hugest uh, faith-shaking revelations, it also has obvious just terrible consequences for um, for the world at large. So I think when there is so much credible reason for distrust, it makes it a lot harder to um, to strike back at things that we think are ridiculous. It's very hard to point and laugh at the chemtrails people when uh, the paper of record is getting things catastrophically wrong. Um, and so I think there's there does need to be quite a lot of soul searching in the mainstream media, of which I consider myself a member. Um, and one, one thing that I am personally a bit of um, an evangelist about is that I don't think we ought to pose ourselves as these objective arbiters of the one truth, because everybody comes at things from a uh, certain perspective. I am very firmly on the left. I am lucky to work for a publication that lets me be that way. But uh, I, I think about other outlets that, um, for instance, there was a revelation uh, this week that the Washington Post rewrote a Palestinian um, advocacy group's statement to not say Palestine. That's just dishonest, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And that is a baked in bias that we have in the media and that I think we need to confront if we're going to um if we're going to make an earnest stance against disinformation. Um, so I'm I'm curious I think that's a two part question. I'm curious how you think we kind of combat this i don't know if there even is a way if because I, I feel like people are going to just believe these things no matter what it's something we're always going to deal with and one example of someone trying to kind of ridicule it poke fun at at, at conspiracy culture um and you know have a little fun along the way is the birds aren't real guys uh -huh. and this is something that has like grown in popularity over the past year or two started several i guess several years ago now um and media hits typically are in character, and it's this theory that birds aren't actually animals, they're all surveillance drones uh, for the government and the apparatus, like the surveillance apparatus, which I think is hilarious, and it also kind of feeds into people's uh, distrust of the uh, national security state. Um, what do you think of that as approach, I mean, general thoughts on, on the birds aren't real kind of uh, uh, performance art, and then just, again, like, how, how do you even combat this? <laughs> I adore the birds aren't real movement. I talked to him years ago and he was he was like a early college student or something never broke character once just incredible actor, <laughs> uh, incredible movement, all my love. Um, but it's really tough because on one hand, people are always going to believe things that are wrong. Um, if you go chasing down everybody who's wrong on the internet, you're going to have a very terrible futile time. But I think one way that we can start uh, reclaiming reality is by trying to 
build institutions that deserve people's trust a little bit more. I was just reading the other day that um, in Brazil, even though they have a huge disinformation issue, if you look at what WhatsApp groups have done for Bolsonaro, it's disgusting. Um, yeah. But in India as well, you hear yeah, a lot about this kind of stuff. Totally. Also. Totally. So that's one place where there is the online infrastructure that spreads disinformation. But also in Brazil, they had a really good vaccination rate. And why is that? The article I was reading attributed it to having a pretty solid public health system, one that people had put their faith in for years. It really hadn't failed them that much. And so they were less susceptible to hoaxes about vaccines. Whereas here, we have a shit public health system. You know, it's if you've ever tried to use your employee-granted insurance, and you're lucky if you have that. Uh, there are um, real atrocities that have been committed in the names of public health in the U.S. So you can understand why there is this ambient mistrust of, say, uh, health institutions in the U.S. and how that understandable mistrust is warped into something really pernicious by bad actors. So I think it's a matter of... Um, of of rebuilding a communal sense of truth, both through official institutions and then also, yeah, maybe by having a community like birds aren't real. I think community and um, and just re resisting the social murder is so important to um to yeah having having a shared reality. Uh, so birds aren't real and uh, Medicare for all. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's that is so important for us to keep in mind as well. It's that when there are these these bad actors within our the mainstream media or mainstream institutions, it does feel this kind of thing. And that's the interesting thing when you dive into these conspiracy theories. Often these theories are based on based on certain ideas that have very real kernels of truth within them. Like you talk about, you can talk about how ridiculous Pizzagate or QAnon is the idea that, um, you know, there's these underground labyrinthine tunnels under Comet Pizza where there are these elites are uh, trafficking children. You know, it's ridiculous and horrifying to think about, but also there's the idea that elite people in our society are engaging in this kind of like tra trafficking and horrific sex abuse this is a very real phenomenon, which we've which we've seen from the the revelations that came out around Jeffrey Epstein, uh, the things that have come out about you know we all know about the entertainment industry and Hollywood from the Catholic Church. I mean, this is this is a very real phenomenon that does happen, and you can understand when these things do go on, and we all kind of implicitly understand this. We don't have the full truth of it. Uh, only these small rumors or or uh, you know certain cases that that kind of break through this kind of code of silence that people seem to have about this that work in these worlds. And then you can see how that absolutely fuels these ludicrous conspiracy theories, um, which then, you know, gives rise to all kinds of uh, nefarious folks who want to use that very real phenomenon to kind of, you know, bolster their own livelihoods and, and you know, create big uh, followings for themselves. Um, but these things feed into each other. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, it, it's so cynical with the Epstein stuff. You know, I, I take this pretty personally because I've been writing about QAnon for a while. And I think that my outlet, The Daily Beast, has done some of the better Epstein coverage for years before he was arrested, um, before he was even as commonplace a talking point. I had uh, my coworker was doing incredible work on him. And I remember being on 
far-right websites that I monitor. And these people were trying to dox her because in addition to her pointing out Epstein's ties to Bill Clinton, she also pointed out his ties to Trump. So I don't really uh. want to hear it <laughs> that the QAnon people give some massive shit about Epstein. I think it's incredibly convenient for them to have that narrative out there. But having gone from this being a topic that I did monitor for years um, and that my outlet was very proactive on to after his arrest, getting all these QAnon people spamming me, being like, see, we told you there were pedophiles. I yeah. didn't argue that there's not. I, I get quite a annoyed about that. Yeah, well, especially when these people were by and large Trump supporters who had a, had a very open and obvious connection to Epstein himself, which they all conveniently ignored. Uh, while they while they still cast him as being this like heroic figure right. that was there to like to combat the deep state and destroy these people, totally. And, you know they conveniently forgot about that and, part. Yeah, I and guess. so so much of every conspiracy theory, flat Earth in particular, um, requires people to discard inconvenient facts. You know, flat Earthers will do an experiment that they say will um, show the lack of curvature, and the experiment fails, and they're like, "Oh, I I ran that wrong. My laser pointer wasn't working right today," <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's completely true. With um, people cherry cherry picking the Epstein case because you, if you're going to look at that, you need to look at holistically and say, yeah, this is a really evil bipartisan web of actors. You can't just pick on um, the Bill Clintons and the Kevin Spaceys. This is a lot of folks. Yeah, that that's absolutely that's absolutely right. I think that's all something we should be keeping in mind. Definitely when we have these kind of discussions. I was wondering if. Um... You had any you had any thoughts about this this current uh, convoy situation that we're dealing with in Canada, the Freedom Convoy, and one thing. Okay, so there's here's here's some interesting crossover as well. Um, in the same way that I think after the 2016 election, there was a lot of people on this kind of disinformation beat who were very quick to um, point to this kind of like idea of like foreign influence as being the the motivator for this all the bad things that happen while ignoring the very homegrown aspects of it um we saw that you know after the clinton campaign and we're seeing that right now in canada with this freedom convoy where it, rather than people just like looking inward and and realizing that there's this very strong kind of reactionary undercurrent in this society it's a very homegrown movement there's a big constituency for these kind of ideas um, and so they want to blame foreign interference. They want to blame America for, you know, American billionaires funding this movement. They want to look at, you know, Russia and and whatever other official enemy country might be contributing to these things. And that's an, something else where I think we need to have a little bit of nuance as well and, and kind of understand this idea that while there may indeed be foreign actors that contribute to these kind of things, like I actually don't doubt that that stuff does happen uh, in the same way that the United States um, engages in that kind of activity, trying to destabilize countries that they're sort of official enemies with. I don't doubt at all that there are official, uh, there are foreign countries that are that see these kind of um, divisive moments happening on social media and try to you know stick their thumb on the scales because it contributes to this kind of like chaos. Um, but I think we can recognize that while also not downplaying the role that our own culture and society has has played in allowing a movement like the Trump movement to happen or what what we're seeing right now with this this convoy situation in Canada. I think there's too many people that want to either downplay both of these things or and there's not enough there's no one that I there's not enough people I think that are willing to have acknowledge the kind of shades of gray that are in these kind sort of uh, uh, discussions when we talk about this. Absolutely. And you're totally right that it can be both. I I do like pointing out like the American money and the Canadian convoy because 
if nothing else, then to illustrate that this is not a workers' movement. This is it's yes, it's it's owner operators of trucks, and most of the drivers on the road are not trucks. They're you know Ford one F one fifty owners, and um, it, this is you know got a lot of uh, fundraising fuel from wealthy people in the U.S. That said, um, these are reactionary currents that should surprise no one. They've been emerging for the past ten years, and. Um, they are very homegrown. We're not just seeing this in national politics, which is when it makes the main stage, but um, these sort of insurgent, no pun intended, ins- <laughs> insurgent right wing movements are happening in local governments all over the place. Um, I'm reporting on uh, stuff in Colorado this week, um, and you are getting these small time like czars, these chairpersons of the local GOP who are fully Q-pilled, who are fully like attending events where they're calling for the hangings of local election officials that they believe uh, dethroned Trump. So this is a really real American sentiment, both you know U.S. and Canadian, that people need to grapple with and people need to recognize how potent and widespread it is because it's um it is everywhere and these convoys are not coming out of nowhere they're not uh crisis actors hired by putin they are real people who've been radicalized over the course of 10 years or in some cases just over the course of covid and i i don't think it's impossible to reclaim them but the first step in doing so is just acknowledging that they're real, and even if their grievances might be bullshit, that um, those are real political sentiments that you need to contend with. Uh, so, what's what's your I guess your elevator pitch uh, for the book? We don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I got a review copy that I'm I need to work through. Um, but for people who are you know on the fence or looking for something to read, what's your what's your pitch? Why should they pick it up? Um, the world is really strange and sometimes dumb and very nonsensical right now. If you want to understand why it is that way, why we're all a little complicit in it, but also why we can trace this to a failed socialist commune in 1840, I've got a book for you. <laughs> Uh, so it comes out later this month. Is that right? That's right. Two twenty-two twenty-two, which is a Tuesday. Nice, nice. I'm sure that the conspiracy theorists are going to have a <laughs> great time with that one. There's some kind of weird significance, absolutely, I'm symbolism sure behind that. Doing gematria on it right now. Yeah, exactly. Once you add up all those twos, it's going to add up to some letter, and you're going to be busted. <laughs> Can't wait to find busted, out what Kelly. it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, Kelly, thank you so much uh, for joining for joining us. That was really. It was really helpful. Uh, I know so much of this for them is about making sense of the world, but you helped us make sense of their world. Uh, so I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care, Carol. Okay. Bye-bye. Solid. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. 
and we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.